0: Hey there, Crypto Curious Gang. It's time to plug in and play with the blockheads at BlockCast. Strap in for our weekly whirlwind tour through the blockchain jungle, where NFTs, shiny coins and crypto titans tango. Served up with a side of spicy insights and the crunchiest bits of the digital sphere. Let's dive into the decentralized deep
1: end. BlockCast is live in 3, 2, 1.
2: Hey guys, welcome back to BlockCast, the podcast where we delve deep into the evolving world of blockchain and cryptocurrencies. I'm your host, Timothy Mizier, Managing Editor at Blockhead. And today we have a particularly exciting episode lined up. We're exploring the crypto industry's outlook for 2024 from a venture capitalist perspective. We'll be looking at the investments and strategies within the crypto market and everything from the impact of new ETFs on the market, the surge in crypto adoption to the intricacies of real-world assets in the crypto ecosystem. And there's also a special announcement in the second segment of the show, so stick around for that. To help us navigate these waters, we have my co-host Mark Tan, founder and CEO of Blockhead. Oh, hey guys, I'm Mark and I'm uh, founder and CEO of Blockhead. And alongside him, we have Tinan Louis, partner at the crypto-focused venture capital firm Saison Capital.
0: Yeah, thanks guys for having me.
2: So, let's dive right in. Tinan, can you share a bit more about your background? I understand you have an interesting journey. Uh, how did you get into the web three and crypto space?
0: So thanks once again for having me on the show. My name is Chen En. Currently, I'm, uh, we're at Saison Capital, which is an early-stage venture capital firm that was introduced. My journey, it's uh, quite, uh, I would say, not, not the typical crypto or crypto-native one, right? I really came from sort of a Web2 background, uh, and the story started actually slightly more than 10 years ago right out of military service which all singaporean males need to do co-founded a recruitment tech company that today is one of the largest in southeast asia called Glints. spent about four years doing that and really kind of had that zero to one experience as you would expect made lots of mistakes but also learned a lot grew a lot and that was a phenomenal experience after that i went into consulting the, the bcg side of it i of course did classic consulting but before long kind of really like uh, my, my butt got itchy, right? Wanted to, to move on to do something a bit more concrete. So at that point, quite opportunistically, BCG was launching this thing called Digital Ventures, which was helping corporates to build startups. And I thought, hey, that's, that's, that's a great place for me to be at. So I spent a bit of time there before this opportunity at Saison came up. And uh, that was really actually how I got started, really into my Web3 journey. To be honest, that's some of, one of the things that you know, that we live in the life of could have and should have, right? So I actually first heard about Bitcoin in 2014 when I first went to the US. I first heard it because there were a couple of call mates in mates in my dorm that were mining Bitcoin. And then I, at a point, I was just like, what is this nonsense that people are doing? It's not important. I wish I joined them. Then I would be retired on a beach sipping uh, Mai Tais right now, but uh, I didn't. So really kind of my journey was of getting into Web3 was really actually during the 2020, 2021 NFT and Game Five book, right? Because that was something that really I felt was truly fascinating. It was not just about flipping and making money, which of course is a big part of crypto and is something we all enjoy. But it was also like, hey, there's actually a bit more utility, there's a bit more variety, there's a lot of course a lot more entertainment around it. So really spent a lot of time keep diving into the NFT Game 5 space. I remember those were the times you I set alarms at 3 a.m. in the morning to wake up for super hype mints, you know, set max gas and all of that. But yeah, that was really kind of my, my journey down a rabbit hole. Uh, and since then, of course, I have spent quite a fair bit of my time in the Web3 space. And I'm, I consider myself very fortunate that I, I get to spend about at least 70, 80% of my time just understanding and figuring out what's happening in, in, in this space.
1: Th- thanks for that, Chinan. I mean, I think for sure, I'm not just kind of like, you know, saying it to, you know, because uh, you know, you're on the show, but that. I- we think of Web3 V C is Saison's name that comes up for sure. That stood out to us anyway. But like your your story definitely pretty atypical. I mean just the fact that you found out Clintz. Yes. Yeah. Right? Like I know that they're like, they're at like a series D or E at the moment, right? That's what Yep, D. Yeah. And and this was when you were in uni.
0: We actually dropped out of school mm. uh, to run the company, so that was also quite a, uh, quite a one of the things that hit the news at that point in time. Mm. Uh, so we were known the three of us for dropping out of US colleges, giving up our full government scholarships to actually build the company. So we all went to school for a couple of months in 2014. Realized that it's impossible to build a company while you are in Southeast Asia while in the US. But you know, at 20 years old, you believe everything is possible, right? So at the start, we told ourselves, we told our investors we are going to build a company in Southeast Asia while three of us are based in the US.
1: That's insane, man.
0: It's like, it's like no no one believes. And I think that also reflects the state of the market at that point, right? Like 10 years ago, you had VCs that were back three 20-year-olds by the way, I'm very grateful, right? Because they did that. They gave us all the chance to make this happen. But think about it uh, from a, just an investor lens. And you don't even need to be a VC, right? Would you put money in a guys who are building a company, 20 years old, zero work experience, they're trying to build something in Southeast Asia, but the three of them are going to US and they're not even going to work on it full time. They're going to go to college, right? I mean, I'm
1: quite impressed that you guys were able to get it through, man. Uh, but I guess maybe it could also have been, you know, maybe the fact that, and, and this is a huge generalization as well, like literally, and right now it's 2023, and 2024, right? I have met people from, you know, the other part, like state, etc., that are really not that well-traveled in Southeast Asia. Hmm. Yeah, it, it might seem like, you know, like, okay, Bangkok is like, I mean, it's something we do on a weekend or whatever, right? But it, it, it's really yeah. kind of like out of the way for them. And, and it's still quite exotic to, to a certain segment. And even in the investing space, which is quite surprising, right? Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, it, it all worked out, right? I mean, it was all or nothing for you guys. and
0: But I, I think there's really there's really no replacement for being on the ground. And I think this this applies not just in geographically, but even in Web3, right? Like, it, it's a freaking full-time job. Right, there's no no such thing as your part time web tree, right? Like the space just moves so fast that you just got to be all in, and that was also one of the biggest sort of mistakes I learned, right? When when we started Glints, of course we started in Singapore. We very quickly realized we needed to move out in Indo, and we thought, hey, you know, let's just hire a team there and let them do their thing. We'll sit here in Singapore. Like that didn't work out, right? So I had to kind of pretty much be there half the time in 2016, 2017, and that really moved the needle. So yeah, I, I'm just a huge believer for. Thing.
2: It's either you're all in or all out. Yeah, I mean, we're here to hear insights from Tinan and what Saison is doing in the space. Maybe before you get into to all that, can you talk a little bit more about what you guys do? and maybe some of your portfolio companies and partnerships you have?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I think for us, we, we come from, a, I would say, a very unique and different background. Of course, out there, there are many crypto-native VCs that, that were set up over the past five, six years. Uh, for us, we we come from very much a different background, uh, specifically from a threat five background. Now, what's the first thing would you think of when you hear an investor say that they come from a Japanese, publicly listed financial corporation, right? Immediately, there's, there's some form of stereotypes and probably... Not very aligned with kind of the principles of Web three, at least for most people, right? Uh, and that that was something that I, I myself, before I joined Season, had that notion of. I'm like, okay, are you guys gonna take six months to write a hundred k check? Because if that's the case, it doesn't matter whether you're in Web 2 or Web 3, no one's going to take your money, right? And that really comes from having been a founder myself. That was when I really realized Saison was built differently, right? It is one of those few VCs out there that, yes, while we are corporate VC, 100% fully owned by a Japanese, large Japanese publicly listed financial company, uh, we are actually well set up to run quickly to be very nimble, very agile, and most importantly, pursue financial return as the main driver. Too often, we see many of these corporate VCs just pursue things for strategic interests, then they kind of force-fit a startup to align to like a large corporate, and, and that, that partnership always breaks down. So for us at Saison, we are essentially built as a VC that's purely looking for financial returns like most of the VCs out there. Plus, we actually also have a very flexible mandate. We don't need to invest in anything that's related to the parent company. Of course, where there's synergy, where there's benefit, which we'll cover a bit more later what that is, then, then that makes sense. But otherwise, we're free to do anything. So we really started in- investing on this crypto journey maybe about 18 months ago. Uh, and it's quite funny because if you think about 18 months ago, that was also when the start of the bear market happened, right? So w- the idea of this so seeded during the 2020-2021 bull. But of course, taking the processes, getting the set- up, and all of that took a bit of time. So by the time we actually started investing, we were pretty much post-FTX, right? So The result of that, it's kind of double-edged. On one hand, we kind of missed out on on so many of the early stage deals that today are large companies, right? You have Celestia, your eigenlayers that, you know, I always say, "Ah, I just wish we existed three to four years ago, but we didn't, right? And that's fine. But as a result of that, what also we avoided was that drastic cliff, right? That pretty much almost all crypto-native cryptocurrencies that invested then they experienced. So kind of today, what we focus at Saison, we're pretty agnostic, right? We believe in investing early stage. We try to join in the first round as much as possible. We almost exclusively only invest in pre-token projects. So once anything has launched a token, We consider that as a bit too late for us. And they're generally kind of two key areas that we focus on, right? Both are actually related to to finance. The first is, of course, DeFi. Uh, we believe that really DeFi is, is shaping up to be this huge growth frontier. That despite the bull, the bear, utility, the applications, the benefits of Web3, the blockchain, really it's best embodied in DeFi, right? And I think to the extent, if you look at the activities that happen, that's really kind of, I, I know DeFi is saying it's a huge sector, but there's really a lot of, under it. Uh, but that, that's one one area we're bullish on. And then the second area, it's RWA, right? We, we believe that kind of uh, the intersection, the clash of TradFi and, and Web3 is here. and this really kind of like the two areas that we have been actively investing so i think that's something that i personally take pride in because honestly i see so many tourist vcs especially sort of like the tourist vcs who were you know 2020 2021 they wrote a couple of checks in webtree but then when the bear market came everyone just stopped right and then some funds entirely gave up the three mandate some funds added ai and started becoming ai experts on linkedin we were very clear from the start like it takes time to really understand a space right just like how i mentioned it really takes time to understand Indonesia, right? You, you can't understand Indonesia without going there. It's the same thing in Web3, it's the same thing in DeFi and RWA. You can't understand a space if you're just a tourist. And if you don't understand a space, then what makes you think you can be a good investor in it? So for us, really over the past two years has been really investing, understanding, learning, being active in the space. And that's something that we take pride in, that we are not tourist VCs. We are not pivoting and suddenly creating content about AI. And it's not to say that AI has no potential, right? Of course, huge potential, but we just recognize as investors, you need to create, you need to seek out your own alpha. And so it takes time to build up the networks, build up the knowledge. Uh, and that's really kind of what we have been doing and what we continue to do.
1: Th- thanks for that, Tinan. I think, I think you mentioned some some very interesting things and, you know, like potentially like, you know, for example, if you're looking at DeFi and then RWAs, right? I think that this whole TradFi convergence with crypto, TradFi versus crypto thing, has been, you know, just a recurring theme for like many years now, and it kind of elicits differing opinions on, on how this space really should be built up. How do you feel about that in terms of like, you know, I mean, from a project level, looking at what you kind of invest in, because for example, DeFi, right, in my opinion, definitely, if you look at how the blockchain can serve like, you know, service financial, financial services first, right, I think it has to start there when we when want to look kind of like mass adoption from the road. but then it is invariably going to be like a regulation game. And also, you know, I think that, at the start, at least, you know, it feels like uh, a lot of the retail market might be excluded, excluded from this. I was just curious to kind of hear your thoughts on, you know, first of all, like, you know, like, are you coming from a position of like, you know, okay, look, I, I, I kind of believed in the idea that this technology is actually really disruptive. Therefore, there shouldn't be a convergence of both the fire and crypto world, right? Because I mean, I clearly the conversation is matured already, you know, so like, yes. no, it's not, you're not yes. there anymore. Right, so now we're here. It's like, okay, look, man. I think that you know, like the threat world can can learn some things from like what the DeFi projects are doing, and vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm yep. curious to hear yep. your thoughts on that. Yeah. So, so I think that's interesting
0: because if we just step aside from the Web3 world for a second, there was a time, maybe about 10 years ago, where every bank wanted to be a fintech and every fintech wanted to be a bank. And maybe to some extent, that's still true. I believe the same model, it's really still happening over here, right? Like in, in time to come, I believe that the fire is going to recognize smart contracts as a lot more reliable, like technology decentralization permissionless over centralized intermediaries that pretty much add little value, are susceptible to failure and just create more fees for you. But at the same time, I think there's also already recognition that the current state of DeFi and the current state of Web3 in general, it's very PVP uh, and everyone's just circling their same liquidity. So there needs to be new liquidity and where does that come from? That comes from the people who aren't in Web3 today. So I, I really... Strongly believe both worlds were merged today. We already see that with the ETF in some form. But the analogy, I like to draw it. Let's think about it. Maybe 10, 15 years ago, Facebook, Instagram, social media in general was seen as a teenager thing, right? Like any serious business would not be on there, right? Like you just think of it as like, ah, this, yeah, for your young kids, like people like us, right, who are just chatting with our friends, sharing embarrassing photos of each other. But today, you don't question any company that has a social media presence. It is just a given. Like, no one sees that as anything out of the ordinary. And it's sort of, that's kind of how I believe the evolution will work, right? First, it's seen as disruptive. People will diss it. People will say, ah, it's only for these small segment of people to do embarrassing and then funny stuff. But then over time, over, let's say, the next decade, I believe people won't even think about, hey, is this actually underwritten by blockchain or not? They will just want the benefits and utility of it.
1: Yeah, I I completely agree. And I think that, you know, just to kind of copy something of, you know, have you guys read Peter Thiel's Zero, zero to 1 yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: right and they, so he uses like the Napster analogy you know and, and how when we look at this word that, that gets bandied around right disruptive technology right That that's something that needs to be examined as well because if you look at Napster was really disruptive but they, their entire ethos was they're essentially destroying the music industry Right. And they did. They succeeded in doing that. So like, you know, they went from being on the cover of Time Magazine one year and then, you know, in bankruptcy court a year later. And then fast forward, right, then you have Spotify, where they started off essentially with working out deals with the artists themselves. you see the kind of narratives, right, from in other industries, And I think we're going to see a similar import to what we are looking at here, right, in our opinion. How I feel about it doesn't matter. I mean, I don't care. Like, so like, you know, personally for me, I mean, it's never been about an ideological slant in terms of like how I view blockchain. I don't. You know, so it's not from me So then there's no politics involved, like how I look at it. <laughs> but I think I have a question, right? About, on, a, on a more practical level, right? Do you think this should also inform how companies build? Because there are essentially, from the way I see it, right? There are two ways to kind of build in in this space. There is a way to kind of essentially, you know, like fast track towards token sale. And then yeah. that is one model. And like, you know, that's, that's essentially if you, if you have a big enough community, right? You can actually make that work, right? Yes. Versus like, you know, like if you're talking about say, TradFi and crypto converging, right? It would mean the idea of like really fast returns, right? That's something that might have to be adjusted as well, you know, at least from an investor yeah. perspective. Right? So, do yeah. do you, do you yeah. see it changing a little bit, or is it you know like 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 how people kind of? Right, so I give you an example, right? Let's just say I talk kind of like an investor, or not not, not even like kind of a VC, right? But someone's looking to put their money in crypto, right? The expectation here, right, is that I want to be able to hundred x listing because it's like yeah. this is what the industry is kind of known for.
0: Correct, All right. correct. All right. So, so I think you you raise up a very salient point that's something that we internally have been debating right and I think the best example is actually what recently happened with the likes of Blast right so for the longest period of time there has been or at least since about last year there have been a lot of these RWA protocols that come in and even stable coins that offer you right in terms of like you backed by T-bills and for most of these projects honestly they are like they're chugging along they're growing their TVL but it's slow and over the past one year maybe the max TVL they got is 50 million, right? So TVL for for context on listeners is total value locked. The web2 equivalent of it is AUM, right? Assets under management. So so most of these basically venture funded proper teams trying to do this the right way. Took about one year, at best they hit 50 mil. Here comes a DGEN, L2, and you don't even know who the founders are, by the way. They're just undogs, right? Anonymous. They're not dogs. And then boom, they launch something, and within two days, these guys got like, I think 80 or hundred mil TVL. And that is just like, it's just insane, right? Like to think about it, like these guys, the sort of the, the right, the proper, the institutional, the whatever, all the good adjectives you could use, took them one year and the best got 50 mil. And then these guys who are playing the Dijan way literally did it like twice that in two days, right? So I think that's really just the nature of the space now, which honestly does not reward long-term thinking. Uh, and that's also a struggle for, for us as investors, right? Yeah. Like to, to figure out, where do you balance? How we approach it is, of course, to invest in both. If you can't change the system, then you just got to learn how to play the game, right? And I think for us, just having a courage of both is critical. And I think it's important, therefore, as investors to figure out which category falls under and also to treat it accordingly, right? So something that grows 100x overnight can also come down that quickly. And so the goal is, to be honest, to be very candid, to get out as quickly as possible. Once you have your take-profit point, you just get out and it's not the long-term hope. But then there are these projects out there that we have also backed. And in fact, I would say it's more of the majority that we believe is going to be a grind. Uh, and yes, it can be frustrating sometimes, right? To, to exactly see like that. We have backed a few RWA protocols and then you, boom, you see someone lock in an uh, 80-mil TVR in one day when you're over here trying to get your, your first five, your first 10-mil 10, 10 TV BL. That's just the nature of the game, but I think it's really just playing the long game and short game. I believe you just have to do both.
1: Okay. I guess that's the, the risk adjusted approach. But I guess you know the I mean if the, the, the projects that take longer to build are working towards dominating a market with enough sufficient market yep. size, then I guess it's worth right. worthwhile. It comes back to that at the end of the day. Yes.
2: So you I mean Tinan, you talked about playing the game. This is also something that, that we we had been discussing. Each cycle has a game to play. So yes. what what is the game for the 2024 bull cycle, let's say? Yeah, I mean, what, yeah. what are the big th- big themes that, that you're looking at and, you know, how are you playing it?
0: So this is, my, this is my personal view. I might entirely be wrong, but I feel like this is not the bull market yet. And this mm. year is not the bull market yet, right? I feel that the bull market really comes. Ultimately, crypto is not insular. Plus, if anything, like it's very, actually heavily correlated with, the non-crypto world the financial markets the public equities market right and to me it's it's in fact a laggard first we need to see proper recovery of the public markets we need to see valuations go up again we need to see you know a lot more liquidity then i think the real kind of bull will come back so i think that that's kind of not the house view but at least my view right and in terms of harm, uh, approaching investments to take a really kind of cautious approach still consistent still disciplined we're still investing but I I really don't think this is one run that that will last, right? And we sort of saw that also when the ETS launched, right? There was so much hype, but then, you know, the price went up and then it came back down, right? But I think for this year, there's a couple of things that we're looking out for. I think, one, as a fund, we are continuing to focus heavily on real-world assets. Uh, And broadly, when I say real-world assets, it's essentially the intersection of fintech and Web3. Because, honestly, if I look at fintech in the past 10 years, there's been a lot of applications that's created, right? You have wealth management, neo banks, lending, all sorts of that. But no one has really changed the way money moves until sort of the blockchain came along. And because this is disrupting something that has existed for the past 100 years, like literally Swift, right? Swift is almost 100 years old. It's like 70, 80 years old. Like, I think that's, It's therefore necessary. It's going to be very painful. There's going to be a lot of things, but it's going to happen. So that's why I think the intersection of fintech and Web3 remains kind of a huge focus for our fund. Uh, And that's where we're focusing on. And and then second to that, of course, we are always uh, in tune and up to date with the market, right? So recently, a lot of Web3 gaming, NFT entertainment projects are are sort of getting back in trend. Of course, that's something that we are keeping a close eye out of. But once again, very conscious that there's also a lot of uh, short-term people, opportunists, who are literally trying to money grab right now and raise as much as we can. right? So we're we're being a bit more discerning about that. uh, And we haven't really picked up investment pace, even though the top of funnel has, has grown a lot, at least on the gaming and entertainment front. So that's the second piece. And then the last piece, of course, is all these upcoming, uh, basically the whole restaking and also the new and upcoming L2s, right? There's so many of them, Blast, Monet, Mental, Barrachain, just so many of these that are coming out. Our goal is really to try to get exposure to as many of them as possible. You know, once again, like I said, we were set up only about 18 months ago. Most of the times, we weren't able to participate in the chains' uh, drops or investment rounds uh, earlier on. So we're trying to figure out, okay, what's the next level, right? Like this involves things like uh, perps, taxes, lending protocols, like the core sort of financial infrastructure that will be on these chains and then we're trying to get exposure across um, these different chains because let's be honest, no one knows which ones will take off, right? And I think being an investor, I think the biggest thing I always had to remind myself, it's it's very hard and it's very arrogant to think that you're smarter than the market. Yes, you might have little bits of alpha here and there, but it's really just so hard to say, I know X chain, is this chain is going to be like the next uh, Solana, right? So I think that that's
2: kind of our view on it. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting because it seems like everyone is also looking for the next narrative because, you know, after Bitcoin ETF hype had been built up over the past year, growing Bitcoin's price from 16K to, to, to 40, 40-something, 40 yeah. you know, that narrative has since... Faltered a little, and it seems like everyone's looking for the next story to latch onto. I mean, and, and you yeah. talked about L twos and restaking. That's quick and and easy money, so to speak. I don't know, but are we going to see DeFi summer again, twenty twenty four, or you know, what's your outlook on on this space?
0: I think we're going to see restaking summer, actually, restaking summer. Uh, with everything that's going on. Like Literally, yeah. that's uh, that's the main narrative that's going on. right? The, at the same time, I think we're adopting a unmashered approach. And what I mean by that is that I think there's really going to be a huge surge in activity, in prices, on, on the restaking narrative uh, over, over the next few months, especially as Eigenlayer really comes up and, and shines. right? Uh, but we also feel like that's also potentially one of the largest risks and one of the largest potential causes of black swan events. I feel like I might potentially get stoned for saying this because this is literally how people are printing money now, or at least people getting excited now. But if you think about how restaking works, you are essentially building derivatives right, on top of each other. You're taking leverage risk, and a lot of times you don't have full visibility to the whole sort of pipeline or the whole layers. And I think that's really the biggest issue that people are not clear on what they are actually investing in, how their funds are being used. And then once one card falls, all the house of cards will fall. So everyone will take their, their restake tokens or their stake equivalents and try to swap it out. And then that's how prices will crash. So I think that's really kind of our view of how things will play out just because there's so much froth, so much excitement right now. There is definitely a short-term window to capitalize on this. But if there's a next Black Swan, like what's the next Terra Luna, what's the next FTX, we think this might be it.
2: Yeah. Oh, that's a big call, and uh, I mean, I guess something that that is not really
1: talked about enough. But it's not that far fetched, also, you know. Yeah, I mean, the reason why I say it's not that far fetched is because you know, human beings, we can't help ourselves, man. I mean, you think about like, all all like different prices, and, like you know, even like out oh, of the crypto world, two thousand and eight, what happened, yeah. right? It's the same same thing, but you know, it's just in, in other kinds of products. And and I, mean, I guess the, the other the other point here is that you know, ninety nine percent of us really, do, I mean, if you think about what what we do about crypto, right? It's just sitting in cold storage somewhere. A lot, most of us don't, don't, yeah. don't trade it. So, like, you know, like the this easy sell, right? Like, the kind of like, instead of letting collect dust, here's a, a a way for you to earn that X amount.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it seems like people have forgotten there was a time when Anchor offered 20%, right? And everyone exactly. was charging towards it. It was just exactly. the next best thing to slice bread. And now people are not really questioning how are you getting the 15, 20, 30%? Right. I mean,
1: right. like, you know, if, if you can't figure out how that how you're getting that, you know, 15, 20% yield, man, then you are the yield, yeah. you know, <laughs> like, like, that, that is yeah. the, whole, the whole point here, right? But I mean, look, I, I think that, you know, like, it's, it's, it's just no judgment, like, you know, I think that, you know, if, you know, people make money from it, they're happy and you know, it works fine. But then I think that's, it's not an unreasonable perspective. So like. I, I guess on the topic of like, Bitcoin and ETH, or like, you know, I guess investment themes, right? We kind of touched on this just a few minutes ago but how, you know, the Bitcoin ETFs are essentially kind of like, you see, a stronger correlation to finance, especially S and P five hundred. You know, should we be building on Bitcoin? Like, what, what what do you think about that?
0: So my think is that there is too much maximalism and chains and all that, like like chain walls, to the point that I don't think it's necessary. Right? Fundamentally, we live in a world where there are very few monopolies. And I think the spirit of Web3 is that people don't want to go all in or centralize and put everything at one, right? So I think it comes down to what are you trying to build? What is the the use case? What is the benefits that you want to get out? And then what chain do you want accordingly, right? And, And of course, when you think about something like Bitcoin, the first thing you think of is the amount of liquidity that's on, right? Like Bitcoin itself accounts for half of the whole crypto capitalization. But then there are also is it the right use case, right? Like, so Bitcoin is pretty much what people call digital gold. The question, the whole point of digital gold is that it's something that you store, you lock up, and there's a store of value, right? You don't really build stuff on top of it.
1: I mean, the the, the value is really is it in simplicity, like that's the really like
0: correct, 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 correct. So so the question is, is it the right chain to do it? I don't know, right? Maybe it is for your project. Maybe it isn't. Maybe it's worth a try. But what what I do see is really sort of like a like a multi chain future, right? Where where folks really pick chains just like how they pick countries to operate businesses in or markets to sell to. If we look at most of the, the successful businesses in our world today, how many of them are built purely domestic? Mm. None, right? Like, or like very few, right? Most of them are cross-border. You you, you do different things in uh, different countries for different reasons. It's the same thing on the chain. There are some processes, some tasks, certain activities that may suit this particular chain and then you might use the other one. So that's really kind of how I envision it, right? It's not too different from how the current global economy works. So I think there's a lot more room for collaboration than... A, than a tribalism.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Second part of the question, like Ethereum ETF, any thoughts?
0: Well, I'm looking forward to it because the evil pump. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think to be honest, there's, there's, this whole ETF, it's primarily a narrative, right? If you see the flows of who is purchasing it, the majority of it remains institutional. And let's face it, any institution that really wants to participate in it would probably already be able to access. Sure, ETF makes it easier, ETF legitimizes it, but it's like the question is how much of it? It's really like new entrance, net new liquidity, right? And I think that's really kind of my take towards this this whole ETF thing. Great as a narrative, great for our prices, great for our backs, but really what we should look a bit deeper. It's really what's the net new liquidity from new entrants. And of course, the information is harder to get, but I think it's also more from a sentiment point of view, right? Like, are people around us who are not in Web3 actively thinking about allocating some part of it? My answer is not yet. And I think because of that, I don't think the bull market
1: is here. I mean, I mean, like, there is this issue that, I mean, like, uh, there's been talked about, about how, you know, I mean, Ethereum is proof of stake, right? So, like, you know, I, I think in yeah. the way that if we have an ETF, you know, and you have these institutions just, I mean, they're already holding Ether, but like, I, I'm just wondering whether that would impact. Because if you look at, say, the different narratives here, right, I think the reason why I think Bitcoin ETF makes a lot of sense, right, it's because it's yeah. simple, right. you know, yeah. it's like a gold ETF, right? But then when you start to layer all these other things to it, right, like, if, let's say, I mean, people are already building on, on on Bitcoin, but whereas if you look at Ethereum, right, and then the whole point about it is that it's, it's utility there. I, I'm just thinking about how, like, you know, like the, the whole idea of actually putting these ETFs out is that the public narrative is actually easy enough to understand. Yeah. And therefore, yeah. like, you know, like yeah. people invest. Right, but when you start to complicate yes. that, you know, right. then how are you going to get new money in? Because the people holding on to ETH and Bitcoin already, you know, like I mean, I don't need to buy a Bitcoin ETF for, for what? Yes, correct, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, it's a product meant for someone who's like, you know, like I don't want to dip my toes into that. that that's where it's coming from with all of this, right? Because I feel as if like you know, in, in searching for more utility out there, right, for something that's essentially quite quite simple to understand, you know, and therefore you could sell that Bitcoin ETF to someone who's not really bothered with crypto. Yep. That might change. Let's say we start doing the, the funkier stuff. And I mean, I'm not sure whether yeah. the regulators will approve, but assuming they do, right? It's going to be an interesting few months, and uh, I also think it's very
0: tumultuous. <laughs> cool.
2: Uh, let's move on to the next segment with the with the announcement, yep. which I'll get Sinan to talk more about on Chain 2024. So this is a conference uh, that's going to be happening in Bangkok in April, part of Southeast Asia Blockchain Week and its theme centers around real world assets. So you talked about that theme earlier on in our conversation. This one-day conference really expands on that and delves deep yes. into its various segments and verticals and the, all the issues surrounding it. So uh, Tinan, tell us more about what this conference is, what you hope to get out of it, who's participating.
0: Absolutely. No, I, I'm super excited to announce and, and thank you to Blockit for coming on as our exclusive partner for this, right? Really what we're trying to do is to create a platform where both tradfi, Fintech, and Web3 folks can gather together and have real conversation around how can we use the blockchain, how can we use distributed ledger technologies to change how money moves. And of course, there's plenty of events out there. We ourselves has organized many. We've participated even more. But I felt that this is an opportune time. And I think the time is ripe. To bring together, you know, really the traditional finance and the fintech, the non-crypto side of the house, to have real and deep conversations about, hey, is this something that's real? Is this something that's useful? Is this something that can benefit my organization? So to that extent, what we have done is we have chosen a time when we believe a lot of these TradFi and fintech people are coming into town. Because Money Twenty Twenty, which is a large regional fintech conference, is happening just before on twenty third to twenty fifth April. Our conference on Chain Twenty Twenty Four is happening twenty sixth April, which is the day after, and uh, also gives the people a good reason to to stay into Bangkok for the weekend. Uh, but really, it's a one day conference where we're going to put on stage and we're going to bring together two hundred leaders from traditional finance, fintech, and Web three. It's going to be not a large event, it's going to be 200 attendees. And so we're really hoping to get people to to really have those intimate and real conversations. What's most important to us is to make sure that half or more than half of the attendees actually come from the Treadfire FinTech backgrounds, the non crypto backgrounds, because we think that's important. Like people like you, me, like Tim, Mark, me. Like we all believe, or to some extent, right, in the whole web thesis, the benefits of blockchain. You, we don't have to talk about that. The people listening to this probably also don't need to talk about that. But the people who need to hear this, the people who need to ask the hard questions, are the people who are not in the space. And so we want to bring them in. We want to show them what's possible. We want to showcase the different RWA projects that are happening in Asia, where we don't have like a SEC that's going on the loose Canada, going on a witch hunt. And I think that's why this region is ripe for it. So kind of really excited to bring on, you know, really good names from both the RWA site and also the ThreatFi site. We have the likes of Citi, Standard Charter. they are coming on board. We even have the regulators that that will also come on board from Indonesia and Thailand uh, to really have some good conversation over this. So if any of you are interested to join, we would love to see you in Bangkok on 26th of April.
2: Yeah, we're looking forward to it. You can find more details at www.onchain2024.com. Ticketing details as well, and Blockhead will be covering more about the event in the lead-up to it. So happening on 26th of April, Friday,
1: in Bangkok. I, I think one, one thing to add here, right, is that, yeah, just, just to kind of really build on what Tiden mentioned about, I guess, the profile of the attendees. I think one thing that really stood out to me as well is that in terms of how specific a, a topic we're looking at, right, it was very, very interesting for us to kind of get involved because... I mean, how, how many like RWA conferences are there in the region? So that's the first thing, right? Uh, it's also a topic that's very close to our heart in terms of what we're interested in. But I think more importantly here, right, is it's that the idea of like putting people from both ends of the, you know, I guess connected but different industries into as the, the same room. It would be nice to see because I mean, we all know how these crypto conferences usually run, right? I mean, I'm sure you guys have attended your fair share, and, and you know, I mean, I think the community has grown big enough such that you know it's quite robust right now. But like at the same time, also, it's very different from what you would expect from a TreadFi conference? So I, I think that that's just looking at how that actually kind of pans out in terms of the, uh, the attendees and then the uh, interactions. Right, will be quite interesting.
0: Yes. Definitely, definitely. And and I think we're very thoughtfully kind of designing this whole conference around um, each attendee's objectives, right? I feel like we've all been to conferences before where the room is too large, you kind of awkwardly hold your drink and then try to look for people that you know, but you don't really know people that you know. Uh, So what we have done is we even before the event, uh, we are going to facilitate some of these connections thanks to technology today. So even on the registration form, we'll ask you know, each attendee, what, what what a success to flag for them, right? What what objectives they want from the event. And pre-event, we want to make some of those introductions. So at least when you go down, you know, you will not be randomly looking around trying to break into conversation. Because look, I'm an introvert also, right? Like, uh, even though I might not necessarily sound like one. And it's always hard, right? Like, if you see a group of five people talking, you don't want to be the one comes in and then awkwardly interrupts the conversation. So what works for me, it's always finding three or four people that I really want to meet kind of setting up times with them and then use that as a platform to meet more people, right? So I want to recreate that. And it's only possible when you do it at a slightly smaller scale, you can do it at a 1,000 or 10,000 people level, but you can do it at a 200 people level, which is kind of what we want to design for the attendees.
2: Sounds good, man. Yeah, looking forward to it. And I'm really excited about Blockhead's involvement in this as well.
0: Once again, just thank you for having me on the show. I truly respect people who have been constantly building through, through the bear. As a VC, I meet so many founders, so many projects that honestly have given up uh, well publicly things the likes might still be on their social media might still be active but like when you talk to them you immediately know whether when they have sort of given up and they're just just cruising along right and I think for what you guys are building you know Mark Tim and, and your Blockhead team you know we, we have a first hand view of seeing it right and i think you know very respect you guys for for pushing through despite the past tough times and so you know i think collectively this period is really showing us who are the people who are staying versus what the tourists not just applies for investors right but applies for for every, all the different ecosystem players so yeah looking forward to see what we can do more together
1: all right thanks thanks so much for coming on the show
0: all right sounds good thanks so much guys and for those of you listening see you in bangkok, see you in
2: bangkok. and there you have it A huge thank you to my co-host Mark and Tinan as well for your invaluable insights today. And thank you, Blockass listeners, for tuning into this episode. Be sure to follow us at www.blockhead.co for more deep dives into the world of blockchain and crypto. Until next week, stay curious and stay informed.